Welcome to the Gifted Neurodivergent Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the exploration and cultivation of the outside genius found in neurodivergence. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Gifted Neurodivergent Podcast. My name is Lillian Skinner. Today, we're going to talk about another one of our high abilities, and that is relationships. I am so tired of being told that neurodivergence don't do relationships well. And today I want to put that to an end because I actually believe the opposite. I believe neurodivergence, healthy neurodivergence, and let me caveat that healthy part being key, do relationships exceptionally well. How do I know this? Well, I have been in a lot of relationships and the ones that I do the best in are always with people like me people who are sweet and kind and compassionate and loving and think about my needs and think about their own and it's balanced. Now I'm reading through these lists of how our communication style is subpar and how our relationships are going to be harmed by them. And I'm just going to give you a really quick rundown of two relationships. I'm going to call them type one and type two. I'm going to let you see which one you think would probably be better for you. The first one has a unique communication style. They are authentic in their communication and they communicate with emotion. They have enhanced ability to focus. They're honest and direct. They have detail orientation and they notice what your needs are and what you like and what you don't like and what you're thinking and feeling. And it's very easy to be in a relationship with them. They're thinking about where you're at as well. They have higher understanding, higher empathy. They have improved communication because they know you so well. They know how to ask the questions and read your emotions. They have higher intimacy because you connect. You don't want the other person to go feeling less than you're feeling. So you connect in a deep and meaningful way. They have greater emotional support because they can feel emotions. They connect deeply and they know where you're at and they support those emotions. They have increased problem-solving ability, and they're both generally communicative in a way that is preemptive rather than reactive. There's mutual respect and trust. You trust each other because you know that you're not going to probably find a better relationship than this, and this person loves you and meets your needs and has open communication, and you build trust in that way. Respect, support, equality, forgiveness. That is type one. Now let's go to type two. In this relationship, you're looking at difficulty relating, difficulty reading the other person's body language, not sure what they're following or who goals are meant to meet. You care more about what outside perspective is than the partner perspective. There's trouble processing information between the two of you. You're not sure that you are being told the truth or that they're trying to deceive you, gaslight you. You have communication that doesn't come across as authentic. You have miscommunications and misunderstandings, trying to figure out like where you're both at and can you get on the same page. You have difficulty interpreting what their true emotional states are or their nonverbal cues because they they seem to be maybe lacking in authenticity or manipulative. You have unintentional nonverbal communication that you didn't intend and they are saying that they interpreted but you didn't intend it. You have boundaries prioritizing their needs over yours or your needs over theirs. You have over-involvement where they constantly call you or they constantly have needs that require you to be attending to them or vice versa. 
they may struggle to make decisions or you may struggle to make decisions because the backlash of decision making is high or they they don't allow you to make them or they don't want to make any. The personal emotional well-being leads to a rundown and you're constantly tired, so tired you don't have the energy to even try to get out of it. You have a power imbalance feeling. You don't feel like you're equal to them and you're not sure if they're putting you up on a pedestal or taking you down or exactly what, but it just isn't great. You don't know if they're being faithful. You're not sure. You don't want to think about it, but you really don't know in a nagging feeling. You don't trust them as a result and your emotions are all over the place. What is the difference between these two type of relationships? The first one essentially is a healthy one. It is a deep one. It is a neurodivergent one. The second one is a unhealthy one, a deep one, and it is a neurodivergent one. They're both neurodivergent. Because if you look at the lists for how people communicate, they will say that neurodivergents have some of the very best. Neurotypicals are not communicating at the same level. It's more surface communication. And when you're looking at the negative things of being in a relationship, they're the same thing as the neurotypicals. It's not really whether or not you're in a relationship with a neurodivergent or a neurotypical. It's whether or not you're in a relationship with a narcissist or an empath. We have all this stupidity out there surrounding our neurodivergent and neurotypical ways of being when it's a spectrum and yes, you can be on anywhere. But reality is, is healthy people can be neurodivergent and unhealthy people can be neurodivergent. You want to make sure that you're going for healthy people who are neurodivergent. If you find people who are healthy and neurotypical, you may be able to have a relationship that will last, but I do believe that you will never find that deepness of connection that you would find with another neurodivergent, and you will have to have friendships or such that compensate for that. But when you find another neurodivergent who is also an empath, who is also sweet and kind, the relationship is easy. You care about the group as a whole. You're both serving each other. And we have those relationships that when you read books on love and people who have been married for 75 years, yeah, those people are us. Those are the neurodivergents. They're the empaths. They're the healthy neurodivergents. Because when you find another person who's an empath and you marry and you set out in the world together as a team, your connection is so deep. It's so nonverbal. It is so understanding that person at a level that no one will ever understand them that you end up being the tightest unit ever. And when you have children, you will put those children first and you will meet their needs and you will create this beautiful, healthy family. And that is what I found. I come from a neurodivergent family. Not a lot of them are empaths. I've seen some of them marry other empaths and their marriages go beautifully. And I have seen some of the narcissists marry empaths and I feel like crying for the one person in the marriage while the other person just literally blows up the world of both of them. And then I've seen two narcissists marry break up and then remarry another narcissist, break up and then remarry another narcissist, because that's what narcissists do. Narcissists are serial marriage. They marry and break up and marry and break up. They can't get past their own needs, their own selves to see the other people. And so they burn them out demanding. And it's always about them. And the more you treat them well, the more they demand, the more they need it. They're insatiable. They're like children who never were loved enough. And the greed for love and expectation and giving of everything you are to them is so great that they'll never move past it. I know that we have 
some literature that say some people who are narcissists move through it. But I truly believe that those people are a rare group who probably are neurotypical, who probably grew up in narcissistic spaces and don't really understand the full depth of it. But if it's brought to their attention, they may be able to change. The ones that I have met that are neurodivergent, that are deeply narcissistic, they're so incapable of looking internally. They're so aware of who they are. They're so aware of what they're doing. They're so aware of the gaslighting. They just can't look because it's almost genetic. It's almost wired by interoception. Their interoception is so high that their introspection cannot be actually heard. They are always going to be in that space because I don't know any that have changed. And I have crossed paths with so many narcissists and they are the same person 20, 30, 40 years later. I can't go past that because I haven't been alive longer than that, but that is how it works. In that relationship list I gave you, the type one, all those beautiful things we had to offer each other were all because we were neurodivergent, because those lists are both neurodivergent. And I was laughing as I went through these lists and asked them, like, give me a healthy relationship. Give me the best things about being gifted. Be, give me the best things about being neurodivergent. Now give me the worst things about being gifted. Give me the worst things about being neurodivergent. They're the same. They're the same. They're these deep, loving relationships. And they talk about communication styles. If you're highly divergent, your communication style extends beyond just words. It extends non-verbally because we're so sensitive, because we're such high sensors. And so we know things about our surroundings that we never need to ask about. I don't need to ask my spouse and children where they're at because I know. When I do ask them, it might only be a few times a year. And it's because it's off. They're doing something I don't know. Or we're in a place I don't know, and I know that they need something. I'm limited on what I'm giving, so I'm asking them to tell me so I don't waste my energy. But generally, we're in patterns, we're in a life, and I know. I know how to meet them where they're at. My children and I, we enjoy each other's company. It doesn't matter what age they are. My spouse and I, we enjoy each other's company. The same for my children and my spouse. It is a beautiful thing to be in a family like that. I did not grow up with that. I don't even know if I deserve that, even though I work very hard to build this every day. I realize what a gift it is because I grew up in a family where I knew that my love was never, ever going to be enough. It didn't matter how hard I worked, how much I served, it would never be enough. I was watching this YouTube video on the three types of love parents give children. And the first kind was this unconditional love where the parents delighted in the child. Everything they did was perfect and they met their needs and the child was not left to cry and plead for the parent to come and get them. The parent was there and said, you know, I love you unconditionally. You, you deserve it for just being here. And then the second style was a parent who expected success. You had to earn their love. You had to prove that you were worthy of being loved. And the only way to do that was for you to go be great at everything to the outside world. And then you could get your parents' love. And I had parents like that. And then the third kind was the parent who actually wanted you to fail. The parent who couldn't love you unless you failed because they were so insecure, you couldn't be better than them. Every time you did something, they would let you know that you were going to fail at it or you weren't really that good. And I had a father like that. He let me know every time I turned around that I was less than unworthy and not going to be successful. If I played an instrument, it wasn't really that great. He told me regularly, and I've said this before on the podcast, you know, if you don't come out of the womb playing the piano like Mozart did, you shouldn't be playing the piano at all. Ironically, I don't think Mozart came out of the womb playing piano, but like I think he meant at five when he did that little song. But I mean, I actually come from a family of people who can play like that at five. And they weren't even cultivated. Mozart actually had musical families. They were cultivating them. I do think that my father is damaged. There's just no turning him back. The reason that if I failed, I wouldn't exceed him and I would be available to him to serve him to meet his needs. So he definitely wanted me to fail. 
My mother was both. There were times where she really wanted me to be successful. She wanted me to go out into the world and pave the way for her. And then the other side of that, she wanted me to fail because she felt insecure in that moment. So she would have contests with me when I was a little girl about who could paint and draw better. Well, obviously she could do it better because I was a little girl and never had any chance to do it. And so, yeah, she always won. I never got that unconditional love. There's no unconditional love in the family I grew up in. And yet I've still managed to achieve it in adulthood. My point to you is that if you are a gifted neurodivergent, if you are an empath, then you are automatically wired to find this. Your negatives of your high emotions, your emotional instability, your feeling like you're having meltdowns, all of those things are are signs of your toxic environment that you're in. You're not reacting because it's you and you're wrong, your autism or your ADHD or whatever. You're reacting because the people you're with are not respecting your needs. You feel safe to make you feel valuable, to make you feel effective. Our entire system is set up for everyone to be dancing on the line of delivery to the narcissistic system. It's narcissistic culture. We are supposed to show our worth by our grades, our accomplishments. That is not a good, healthy, loving environment. And your parents are the ones that give you that healthy, loving environment for the first few years of your life so that you can go into the system and not be destroyed by it, not be beaten down. Unfortunately, we have we have a childhood, an early childhood that requires parents to put the child down by themselves. Now, can you imagine as a little baby coming out of into the world after you're squirreled up like a little tiny ball and you come out into the world and you're left alone after hearing the heartbeat of someone else, giving all your needs met all the time, and now you're left alone, you're going to feel like you are going to die. Because that other person was your everything. And now their heartbeat's gone. Now their warmth is gone. Now the smell of them is gone. Now everything you knew that made you safe is gone. And you cry for them and they don't come. And you think you're going to die. And that repeatedly happens in your life because your parents are sleep training you or because your parents are making sure that you know who's boss. And so you grow up withdrawing because in those first few years you needed to know more than anything, that you were lovable and you didn't get it. And I know that for me, I probably would have grown up much more, you can't touch me. I wouldn't let my parents touch me too much as a kid. My siblings, I did. My siblings are really close to. We slept together in the same bed. And I do think that allowed me to get what I needed from others for emotional connection and physical connection that I didn't grow up not wanting other people to touch me. But I didn't want certain people touching me. I didn't like adults touching me. I didn't want them hugging me. I only liked peers and children because they were safe for me. They weren't going to try to hurt me. They weren't going to try to let me know how I wasn't meeting their needs. They were loving and safe. And the, the connection was unconditional. I see this a lot where you have these neurodivergent children who really, really love their siblings intensely. And it's made into a weird thing when in reality, it's probably the healthiest thing in the world. And we don't understand enough about our sensitivity and our actual needs and living in a space that would be natural and healthy that we keep starting off childhood with a loss of what is healthy for everyone, but especially the neurodivergents who need it the most. When my children were born, I wore them. I wore them all the time for years. I wore them because it was peaceful. It made me feel good. It made them feel good. And because I'm an empath, I could feel their emotions. And then they weren't okay. I wasn't okay. And so by wearing them, they were okay. And they have grown up to be children who are really hard to get diagnosed for neurodivergence, despite us having extreme neurodivergence on many levels. 
they're hard to get diagnosed because they don't have all the effects of the trauma. They don't have all those trauma cues because I chose a different path. And so my relationship with them is deeper and their relationship with others is deeper. I have children who have romantic relationships starting fairly young. I mean, they're not deeply romantic. They're just like my ones have had like boyfriends, boys that they've liked in every grade that they like, someday I'm going to marry this or that boy says that about them. And it's very sweet, but I mean, they're not truly deep relationships, but they're just these sweet friendships of the opposite sex. That's been a cute and sweet thing. I feel very happy and proud that my very neurodivergent children connect with people. They connect with other deeply sensitive people. And it is all the other little boys who are deeply sensitive for my daughters and girls for my son. They connect with those other sensitive people. And if for some reason they change their mind later, they will be fine because they will deeply connect with other sensitive people. It's really the biggest point. It doesn't matter who you connect with. It matters that they're sensitive. We are gifted in a way that we are so lucky to have. We are gifted to see and feel and engage with people in the deepest way. And while I don't do well in the large groups because there's just so many people and I need a person to focus on so I can engage them and go back and forth with them, one-on-one or two-on-one is beautiful. I can do it. I can read them. I can engage with them. I can see what they need and I can give it to them. I struggle not because I'm not having my needs. I struggle when I'm not meeting the needs of others. I'm a natural mother. I want to have other people content. I want them to know that I can make it okay. When I can't do that, I feel uncomfortable. I make great relationships. You probably make great relationships. All you need to be is empathic, to be extraordinarily talented at relationships. And I don't care what they say in the list. Lists are silly. The list on what we're good and bad at are ridiculous because really all they're describing is what everyone's good and bad at and we're just the extremes. So we're extremely good, extremely bad. And they're also describing that the same person, I am the same person in both of these lists. These lists are about me. They're about me struggling in different relationships. And the only difference between those two relationships wasn't whether the person was neurotypical or neurodivergent. It was whether they're an empath or a narcissist. If they're average, if they're neither then the relationship's just going to be okay. It's going to be fine. I'll relate to them. They'll relate to me. It won't be very deep. It won't be whatever. But that's just some social relationships, correct? You don't want to have that relationship with your child. That's horrible for that child. It's horrible for that parent. You're supposed to be deeply connected. Some relationships, you're just supposed to have surface level relationships. But for the deepest relationships, for the ones that you're dealing with every day, for the ones that are romantic related, like you're genetically related, those relationships should be deep. And it doesn't matter whether you're neurotypical or neurodivergent. It matters whether you're an empath or a narcissist. All you orchids out there, stop worrying about your relationships because you're doing it right. If they're feeling wrong, it's the other person. We have to positively disintegrate to get to the place where our abilities, our higher functioning sensing is a payoff. But we have to be in a safe place. We have to be in a place where we know and trust those around us. Because in the moment that you're using those higher sensing abilities, you are vulnerable. When I share what I see and know about people, I have to make sure that they're going to not laugh at me and treat me poorly or dismiss me. Because I'm sharing a part of me that I have been told is not allowed my whole life. And so I need to make sure that they're a safe place for me. But when I get to that safe place, the relationship, it's beautiful. It's easy. We're the two old people who will die holding hands at 100 together. I will never worry about my husband 
not valuing me. I actually worry about him thinking I don't value him enough. And he worries that back. And so we're always reaffirming it. There's nothing in this world that is more beautiful than being in a relationship with someone who loves as deeply as you do. It's beautiful. And I want it for all of you. I want you to get in touch with your higher sensing so that you can go out there in the world and find other people like you and marry them and find a safe place because we are moving into scary times and it's very important that the person you're with has got your back. I don't think money is nearly as important as having the other person's back because the two of you together will figure it out. You'll get where you need to go. You'll make connections with other people and you will help each other make it. But if you don't have that, if you can't trust the other person you're with, then it's going to be even scarier. I just ask that you walk away from this with one idea, now one kernel in your brain, one, one seed that you are capable of the greatest possible relationship there are. And now you just need to go find that other empath who loves as deeply as you do. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I realized I hadn't been loved the day they put my son in my arms for the first time. And I felt the love I gave everyone else returned. And then when I met my husband and he gave me a hug and I felt that again, I knew this is my dude. You just need one person to give you that love, to find it again over and over and over and reproduce it. Find that one person. Find that person who, when they hug you, makes you cry because you can feel that they're loving you as deeply as you love them. And then never let them go. And make sure that they're healthy that's my podcast for this week. Relationships are our superpowers. We have higher ability in relationships. We do have the deeper relationships and you should never be ashamed of who you are and think that you can't do them the best. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Take care. The views, information, and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent Gifted NT Incorporated, Lillian Skinner, or the Gifted Neurodivergent Podcast. This podcast, Lillian Skinner, and Gifted ND Incorporated are not responsible and do not verify the accuracy of the information contained in this podcast series. The primary purpose of this podcast is to inform and educate. The Gifted Neurodivergent Podcast is only available for private, non-commercial use. Any other use of the information contained within this podcast must be done with express written approval and knowledge of Lillian Skinner. You may not edit, modify, or redistribute any part of this podcast. The developer assumes no liability for this podcast or its use on any other podcast or other media.